welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. On my heart, just how uh, that we needed to come and visit this theme that we have uh, been looking at all year long. And it's our theme of the year that God is doing greater things in this year for this church and through this church than he has ever done before. And we have seen that, by the way. Our church has grown something like over 30% since the beginning of the year. It's exciting. And we've also seen God just uh, continue to increase our ministry. As a church, we're looking at new space because we need it, and particularly on our kids in nursery and uh, our second service. Some weeks we're having to pull out extra chairs because there's not enough room. And so God's doing really great things through and in this community, and you're a part of something today. And I couldn't help but just interrupt this awesome series that we're doing, which I am loving, by the way, to talk to you again about how great our God is. That God is is greater than your greatest foe. That's the big idea today. And whatever your big foe is, God is greater than that foe. Some years back, back in my youth pastoring days when I was serving as an associate in Pennsylvania, one of our students, well, our students were pretty rowdy and radical, I'm sure you can imagine, with me being their youth pastor and all that other stuff. It was, it was a little crazy, just to say the least. And they were tended to get, if we were on trips, my group was the one that was most notorious for doing and playing pranks and doing different things. And we had this reputation, but also reputation for being really really radical for Christ. I loved leaning into that radical side when it came to Christ, but not so much because sometimes they would do really questionable things and I'd have to like say, guys, you got to dial that back. That's dangerous. One time we were on a mission trip to the inner city of Philadelphia and the YMCA was so gracious to allow us to use their shower facilities and our males decided to create a slip and slide in the male locker room. Not their best idea. Another time, we were on a trip. This was at a youth convention. And we, I always knew to check behind them. We always carried this big trailer and we, you know, with our buses and stuff. We had this big trailer. And in this trailer, there would be our equipment and all the gear that we needed. And then we would empty it out and we would go to the different places that we were going to do. And, but I always knew to check the trailer because random stuff would show up in it. All kinds of random stuff. And on one particular occasion, I look there after our, we had dinner together, and there were grocery carts inside the, the trailer. And I knew what they were going to do because there's this giant hill by where the convention was, and I had been a witness to other things that we had done, like racing with grocery carts downhill. Not the best idea, particularly when you don't have anybody steering it. It could be a little bit crazy. But I had seen them do this before, and I was like, no, guys, you got to get this out of here. So one of our youth, Justin, jumps up in there. He's the one that was sort of the ringleader of this. He's like a junior or senior in high school at this point. And he starts pushing the carts forward, and we're taking them, offloading the carts. And I'm telling him to move the, the carts and get them away. We drive back to the hotel. We're in the hotel room, and I'm wanting to gather everybody in our joint hotel room, lots of students, and we're saying, hey, let's gather together. We're going to have devotions in an hour, so make sure that you clean up, do whatever you need to do, but in an hour, we're going to meet together. We get to our meeting, and I notice we're missing youth. I'm doing head counts, and I'm looking for them, and then I notice we're missing Justin. And so I say, hey, where's Justin? 
Go look in the hotel room. Go see if you can find Justin. Justin is nowhere to be found. I said, okay, guys, let's start searching the hotel. Where's Justin? And then I start thinking, the last place I saw Justin was at the restaurant. I was thinking, I might have to go back to the restaurant. But before we go back to the restaurant, why don't we check the trailer just in case Justin never made it out of the trailer. So we go out and we unlock the trailer and out pops Justin. I was like, bro, how in the world did you end up in here? He goes, you closed the door so fast after you took out the carts. I didn't have a chance. At first I thought it was a joke. But after sitting here in the cold in Pennsylvania in the dark, I just started to assume that no one was going to come for me. That I was going to have to get comfortable with staying the night in this dark place. And said, you have no idea how dark it is. It's dark outside. There is zero light inside this trailer. So dark that I didn't even know, like if somebody was at least coming by my, the trailer, I could at least knock on the door and say, hey, but I couldn't see anything. It was a pretty hopeless experience. And I said, I'm glad we rescued you out. That'll teach you don't put carts in the back of the trailer anymore. And we were done with that. But I, I, as I was thinking about our message this morning, I was mindful of the experiences that we often have. That we go through some seasons that are really, really dark for us where we can't really see our way out of it. If we knew how to get out of it, we would get out of it, but because we can't see how it is to get out of whatever we found ourselves in, we struggle to, to know which way to navigate, how to access an exit, how it is that we can overcome whatever it is it seems to hold us. Those seasons are very difficult to walk through. Our text this morning takes us right in the middle of that kind of experience. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we got it on the screen for you. I'm going to set this up. So Elisha the prophet was a mighty man of God. So mighty that he would perform miracles. He, the, the, the confirmed uh, raising of the dead you know, caused an accident that had sunk in the water to float. I mean, lots of miracles came through the hands of Elisha. But there was this invading nation that really wanted to subdue the Israelites, the Aramites. And the Arameans, what they did was is they would, would subdue their enemy by surrounding them. And then once they surrounded them, they would overpower them and then rob them of whatever it is that, that they wanted to plunder them of. And so there were these raiding bands from Aram and, that were coming against the Israelites. But the king of Aram is getting really frustrated because he goes, every time I send a raiding band, we have intel about where the Israelite army is and what they're doing but every time I get there it's like they know I'm coming he's really ticked he's like where's the mole which one of you is telling the Israelites our position our battle plan who of you is the traitor pick up our reading there this enraged the king so he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king said. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, 
This is the most intimate and private space that he has available to him. It is a place that no one knows or sees what's going on. But here, though, there is this sense in which the, the intel is going to this person, Elisha. So the king orders, go find where he is so I can send men and capture him. The, the, the report came back. He is in Dothan. That's important. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servants of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And Elisha, just as cool as the other side of the pillow, says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. A powerful story, and I'm surprised of how few believers have actually spent some time here. It's one of the most wonderful stories we have in Scripture, yet it's hidden there in Second Kings, and usually by the time we're in our Bible reading plans, we burn out somewhere in Leviticus, and so we don't quite make it here maybe, but there's something powerful that the Lord is wanting to give to you and to me, to us today, and that is how it is that we can TKO our greatest foe. How it is that you can TKO your greatest foe. What is a TKO? A TKO is a technical knockout. Or to put it differently, it is when you have beaten your opponent so bad that they give up or the referee comes in and says, I'm stopping this because this is getting ugly. The Lord wants us to overcome those things that are against us so decisively that the enemy gives up and says, uh-uh, no more. I'm not going to mess with them anymore. This is the occasion of this text. And, and I love it because the king of Aram, he's frustrated here and he means to do real harm to the Israelites. Superior warriors, superior strength, superior power. And he knows what they have and that this situation shouldn't be working out. But no matter how hard he tries, it seems like someone is exposing the attack of the enemy. And this morning, I want to expose where it is the enemy is attacking you and me so that we can finally put that joker down and, and be victorious in the way that God intends. That's what the Lord has for you. That's what he has for me. And it's time for you to TKO your greatest foe, which is Satan. The Lord here in this text is showing us some things that are really, really important for us. If we're going to overcome the enemy so much so that he quits and says, uh-uh, no mas. I remember some years ago I was watching an old fight, a rerun of a fight of Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. In the first fight, Roberto Duran took it to Sugar Ray Leonard. He lured him in. He beat him down. But in the second fight, Sugar Ray was ready and he fought him. And at one particular point, Roberto Duran goes, no mas, I'm done with this fight. You are beating me down so bad that I want no more of that. That's what God wants for us. But if we're going to get there, the first and most important thing is we need to learn to watch our blind spots. Where are your blind spots? Where is it 
that the enemy comes at you over and over again, and why is it that you can't see him coming? We see in our text this morning that the servant has a blind spot. He does not see where his help is coming from. He's blind to what God is doing in the midst of this very calamitous situation. He can't locate God, and because he can't locate what God is doing, he's afraid. Each of us have blind spots that we are going to have to contend with in life, but the problem is is that we don't often recognize where it is that we are blind, where it is that our trouble spots are. And so what happens is we tend to cycle around the same situations over and over again, never making progress. And the reason is, is because the enemy, being as cunning as he is, knows exactly how to trip us up. He knows where our weak points are. What are some of them? Experience. Experience can be a strength because if we have good experiences, they can give us confidence for other kind of uh, hope for victory. But when our experiences have been negative... Our experiences around church, our experiences at work, our experiences in our family situations. When our experiences have been negative, what happens is those experiences have a tendency to color the way in which we see the world. We view everything through the lens of our trouble and, and trials. If it's an abuse, we see everything through the lens of a victim. When it's uh, betrayal, we are always looking for that, that knife to come thrusting forward into our back. And when we see the world that way, what happens is we live in a box of fear. A fear that keeps us from the very best that God intends for you and for me. Sometimes our blind spots can be our family. We refuse to see where these Uh, situations are tripping us up because we want to believe the best of our family and that things can move forward and that we can make progress and that God can bring us victory. But there's sometimes that our family actually keeps us from doing what it is that we need to. Oh, here's how it is. You know, I, I, I really would love to do this or that for the Lord, but my kid has to have this consistent bedtime, so I'm going to skip. Or, you know, I'm tired, I need, I, I need to do this or that. And so what happens is, is that family becomes a stronghold or a bondage place for us to fail to make progress. Intentions, good intentions that we have. And so we say, I meant to do that. And then we start judging ourselves based on our intentions. Unbelief is another way that our world is being colored and blinded because our unbelief locks God out and prevents God from working because we can't imagine any other way to get out of where we're at. And so we believe falsely that we are the answer to our prayers rather than God. I've got to work my way out of it. Another blind spot is fear. Perhaps the greatest, though, is our sin. Those places where the enemy trips us up Normally, in my experiences as a pastor, what I've come to find with people is they seldom get caught up in a sin by surprise. It is usually the repeats of the same sin over and over and over again. And we find ourselves circling around a mountain over and over again, trying to overcome whatever it is that's against us, 
But all along, it's the exact same problem that's repeating. I'm going to overcome. And so we bless God. We get, we get a moment with the Lord. We, we feel really great. But as we talked about last week in our Ephesians series, but when we give the enemy a foothold, he just continues to have access to our lives to wreck us over and over again with the same thing. Our sin will bind us. Our sins, plural, our racism will bind us because we can't imagine that our help can come from someone that looks and acts and thinks different than we. And so we prevent the work of the Lord because it doesn't come in the package that we want. This is a broken way in which to live. Yet these are some of our blind spots. One of the things that we do as a team, as a staff, every week is we talk about our blind spots. You know why? Because as a pastor, I can't see everything that's going on. I can't watch my own back. I can watch others' backs. I can watch your back, but I can't watch my own. I need some help to see the places in which I'm blind. And so one of our, our discussion points every week is, what am I not seeing? What can you bring to the conversation that I don't see? But who are those that you trust in your life beyond just those that you live with that can tell you about you? You know, you keep getting tripped up in this same thing over and over again. You have this tendency when you do this and it's keeping you from making progress. Who are those voices that can speak life to you? If you don't have them, then you're missing it. The servant here has Elisha as his blind spot keeper. And Elisha says to the servant, the reason why you're afraid right here when this enemy is coming against you is because you're blind to something. This is an important theme all throughout the kings because it's who rightly sees what it is that God is doing. Do the kings see it rightly? Does the prophet see it rightly? And what we discern as we read through this text is that God always has men and women of God that see it more clearly than others. And in this community, you may see something more clearly than I, and I may see something more clearly than you. And somehow in the community of faith, we come to recognize the whole picture when all of us can see on one another's behalf. This servant is desperate. He doesn't see or can imagine how it is that help could deliver them from this situation. But God intends to teach him in a very important lesson, and you and I a very important lesson, that just because you're blind to God's help doesn't mean that God isn't helping. Some years ago, I was with my family. We were on Christmas holiday. We're traveling in Florida. We were visiting family. And as we were going to Christmas dinner on Christmas morning at one of my relatives' homes, a car, as we're driving down the interstate at about 70 or 75 miles an hour, doesn't see me. And pushes all the way into my lane. You know, normally they'll catch that when that happens. And they'll stop and they'll go back to the other lane. But I'm watching. And had I not seen them coming, it could have been very, 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 very terrible situation. And so I see them coming, but I have nowhere to go. Except in the grass of the median. How many of you know wet grass at 70, 75 miles an hour is not where you want to be in a vehicle? And so on Christmas morning, there was real threat that we could lose one of our family members or perhaps all of us because there was a steep embankment coming. And the vehicle now, because it's shimming from side to side because the grass is wet, is having difficulty. And I just remember saying one word, Jesus. Jesus. 
just then I, 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 I slowed down and I could feel the vehicle just begin to gain traction on the grass that I was on and able to navigate back on the road. And I thought, you know what? That person was blind to me and almost killed me. It's not just our blind spots that we have to watch out for, but the blind spots of others that are constantly affecting us. We know this in families because we know the blind spots of those that are constantly angry and are lashing out and hurling insults and, and saying damaging things to our own heart. We know the sins that keep families from making progress. But sometimes we need others to be able to come in and give life to us. And so that we recognize where it is that we're blind. Otherwise, we stay just like this servant. Afraid that what is surrounding us right now is finally going to take us down. Where are your blind spots? Are you aware that you even have them? Can I say this? We all do. And we need an Elisha in our lives telling us, it's okay. God's got us. Don't let fear continue to wreck you because every time you come to this place, you're going to believe that you're not going to find your way out of it. But God is always watching out for us. Elijah then invites him to do another thing. Not only does he check his blind spot, but he invites him in a very particular way. He prays for his servant and says, open his eyes that he may see. That he may see. What I see, that he may see beyond his blind spot. And so you see this change of posture, if you will, this change of emotive uh, context where now the, something is being transferred here. He is kneeling down, he is praying, and fear is beginning to shift. But how does fear shift to faith? By kneeling in prayer. Through the humility of prayer, something is changing, is transforming the situation. And the vantage is now becoming more clear. That when our direction is higher, we can see from a higher vantage point, we can see where it is that the attacks are coming from. Here is the invitation. Elijah is inviting the servant to look beyond his blind spot. And the Lord this morning wants you to look beyond what it is that holds you to the source of where the help comes to overpower what it is that now subdues you. Sometimes we can become blinded by our own circumstances. But prayer offers a possibility of seeing something in a whole other way than we have ever seen it before. Prayer gives us a divine perspective about what it is that now blinds us and shows us how it is that we can come out of it. Elisha's prayer is pointed. Pray, I pray God, open his eyes that he may see that those that are with us are more than are with them. What revelation that is for you and for me this morning because we feel falsely that we are being overwhelmed or overpowered by debt or by insecurity or by fear or by these uh, relational breakdowns that consistently come. But when we kneel in prayer, we recognize that God is allowing this situation to drive us to the point where we recognize that we need the help and then we will rely on God to help us change. We don't have to stay bound in our situation. The vantage of the servant transforms 
through prayer. But I feel like when we're going through stuff, when we're facing hard days, that that's the last place we look for our help. Prayer isn't first. It's last. And because of that, we find ourselves circling around the same issues over and over and over again. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says it like this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in the fact, using this context, that we have blind spots and in the places that we struggle. Because why? Suffering, because we know that suffering produces something. Perseverance, it gives us the strength to go through something. The perseverance produces character. And character then produces hope. That the reason that you are facing the trial right now is to produce a supernatural hope to be, believe beyond the, the, the certitude of where it is that you now are. Beyond the place that you're so certain it's never going to change. It's always going to be like this. I'm never going to be able to move forward. The crisis in our lives, those that we face and we all face them, the divine purpose for them, the enemy has a purpose to destroy you, but the divine purpose in all of those things is to bring you again to your knees so that you can pray to see it like God does. To persevere so that you can build divine character and that character then develops a different kind of hope. Not like I hope I can have lunch later on today but a divine hope that says no, I know that God is my source for lunch not just today but every day. This is how the vantage point changes. Some years ago I was hiking with a friend of mine and we were deep in the woods and we were certain that if we were to go this track that we could pass some of the others that were hiking up the same mountain and we were going to go ahead of them and they were going to wonder how is it that you guys got here but as we were trekking through the woods we couldn't see where it is that we were headed the dense uh, foliage of the trees, the, the vines, the, the, high, uh, the, the high altitude of, of where it is that we were at made it impossible for us to see more than 10 feet in front of us. So we had an idea. If we want to see where it is that we're trying to go, we've got to change our vantage point because right now all we see is this dense forest in front of us. Let's go higher. So we climbed to the top of the mountain and from the top of the mountain we could see clearly where it is that we needed to go and how it is that we could get there. Prayer is how it is that we climb the mountain. Prayer is how it is that we see it from God's point of view. Prayer is the place where we fetch the muscle to face even the greatest adversaries that might oppose us. Prayer is the place where we gain supernatural strength. Prayer is the place where we unite our human flesh and all of the breakdowns that, are come, that come along with it and the place where we unite with God's divinity and we allow his power and grace to come through and in us. God is greater than the greatest foe that you have faced your whole entire life. Greater than the abuse. Greater than the strongholds. Greater than the inability to make progress. Prayer is the key that changes the perspective. That gives us a hope for a whole new way of life. God desires for us to move forward. But it begins here. But it also means that we need to change the way in which we pray. Do we pray just to tell God what it is that's on our heart? 
Lord, we pray to hear the whisper of the Spirit bringing life to our being. We need sometimes to culture a place of stillness in our prayer where God can speak life to us, expose the blind spots, and we also need a community of people praying alongside of us. We've got to get away from this sort of individualistic way of living. I'm going to do it the way that I want to and enter into God's way of seeing the world because here, beloved, is where we find victory. The third is we need to learn to take captive that which means to take us captive. This story progresses and it's pretty amazing. Is the Elijah not only prays that the servant would receive sight and see, and the servant sees the chariots of fire and the horsemen of heaven and all of these angelic beings surrounding them. As a popular song goes in on worship, you may have heard, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Like there's something bigger that's going on here. But then he prays something specific. Strike these men with blindness. Strike them so that they can't see how to take me captive so that I can take them captive. And the supernatural event happens. He's, he, God does the very thing that Elisha asks and he strikes all of these invaders. And what he does is he leads them along the way. Now, I said that Dothan is important because where we see Dothan show up in Scripture, it, it, we see it show up in another significant place. It's the very place that Joseph is sold into slavery. Now we see Dothan come up again in a whole other context, but there's something very similar about these. In both, captivity is at play. In both situations, we see a correlation between what God is intending to do, as Joseph would say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we see that unfolding right here. The enemy means his surrounding of your life for evil, but God will use the very thing that the enemy has used for evil against you to be the stepping stone so you can walk into the grace, into the power, into the benefit, into the goodness of the Lord. What the enemy's using for evil, God intends for good. And so we can see this whole context of what Dothan had meant historically and theologically that even when the enemy thinks he's selling you out and even when you find yourself in a prison, in a dungeon un, and for, for sins that were not even your own, that God will use that very thing to elevate your life. And here in Dothan, we see it happening again. It looked as if they were surrounded, but God says, I got you, and I've always had you. And if you could recognize that those that are with you are greater than those that are against you, you can walk in new power and new grace and new victory. There is no devil in hell that can fight against what God means to bless you with unless we give him access, unless we open the door and say, you know what? Keep messing up my life. You know, I have a two-year-old. She's not two yet, but she's about to be. And that little two-year-old released in any room means a, a disaster everywhere. And if I release that two-year-old in, into any room untended, she's going to make a mess. And so I've got to be mindful to hold her to a certain degree so that she can't mess everything up. Here. We've got to not allow the enemy to have access to every place in our life or to any place in our life 
that we don't want to be overwhelmed, discouraged, and beat down. I like what Scripture teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. He says this, is that in Christ we demolish arguments and every pretension. Listen to that. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish arguments and these things that propose to be higher than God and that sets themselves up against the knowledge of God. And listen, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I used to think when I heard that, that I needed to take captive every thought. It was every thought that was sort of hindering me from my progress. Every thought that would maybe be discouraging or every thought, and I want to speak faith instead of discouragement. I, I wanted to, to, to the, those ideas of fear that I want to take that captive. But that's not what the scripture says. It says that we're to take captive every thought. That means thoughts that, God, you're for me. I'm going to take that captive in my life and hold on to that promise right now. That we can take captive, Lord, I know you're my healer. And we can grab hold of that and say, I'm going to hold on to God's healing virtue right now. Yes, we take captive every negative thought, but we need to take captive every promise of God just as well. And what do we do with them? We make them obedient to Christ. Lord, you have said this about me. And because you have said this about me, I know that I have victory in you. This morning, God wants you to know that it may seem like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by him. You're surrounded by his grace. You're surrounded by his goodness. And there's no devil in hell that can steal or rob that from you. It is his promise. And my prayer this morning is that God would open your eyes. That you may see in his way. To know that there is no foe that is greater than him. Today is the day where you TKO your greatest foe. And you come through victorious in his name and understand that God is greater. Missionary John Patton, he learned this as he was preaching the gospel in the New Hebrides Islands. These people had never heard the word of the Lord. and They were sort of violently against him bringing this foreign gospel to this land so they were constantly threatening his life and under this threat of life he was afraid but yet persisted one night he testifies it's just he and his wife in the home they could hear the neighboring warriors come and surround their home And he says this, he testifies like this. He says, we didn't know what else to do. We just started praying, God, you're our deliverer. They were taking captive God's thoughts. God, you are our protector. You're our provider. You're our help. Lord, protect us. Help us. Heal us. Bring us, Lord, through this victory in a way like only you can. And all night long, 
They woke up after sleeping through their prayers to find that there were no more warriors. They were surprised and unsure why this was the way that it was. They had no one to talk to them about it, so they persisted in their work. About a year later, the chief of that warrior tribe gave his heart to Jesus and in a course of conversation as they were working together, he asked him, he goes, do you remember like a year ago about that there was some warriors? I mean, they were surrounded. That was you guys, right? He goes, yeah, that was us. He's like, what happened? Why'd you guys leave? And he goes, well, we left because there were all these warriors surrounding your home and we knew we weren't getting inside. The missionary Patton says, there weren't other warriors. It's just my wife and I. It may look like you're surrounded, but God is always surrounding you with his grace, with his power, with his angelic force to protect you at every moment, to lead you through into victory, to give you hope when you are facing despair, to give you confidence when you are feeling discouraged, to let you know that he has always been for you. But the enemy would love for you to continue to get tripped up by the same things over and over again. And insofar as we're blind to God's help, we're still bound in our blindness. But the moment we recognize the truth that God is for us, his plans for us are good, and his victory is sure, it changes the way we face every trial. Because we know that we might be down today, but we know that greater is the one that is in me than the one that is in the world. We know and recognize that we have overcoming power inside of us. That there's no sin that can bind us. There's no stronghold that can hold us. There's no victimized living that can keep us from the blessing that God has for us. I just want to know if there's a little bit of shout inside of you today. Because God has done some great things. I feel some praise and worship rising in this place. And I wonder if we could just stand to our feet for just a moment and give God some praise for what he's doing right here and right now. Let's Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church.